Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. afternoon or good evening and welcome to the vanguard for muhammad i am matt and together we are traversing the muddied waters of freedom how are you doing today muhammad i'm doing okay man i'm ready to give our audience their uh, weekly dose of anti-socialist propaganda i like it um <laughs> today we are welcoming on a very special guest and a personal friend of mine Mr. Steve Edmonds. Steve, you may talk now. Thank you very much, man. Thank, thanks, thanks to you as well, Mohammed, for having me on. I look forward to our uh, our conversation. He's going to offer you a book, by the way. He already has it. Oh, never mind. <laughs> we used to work together. I, I never got the book, but he's giving it to everybody else. <laughs> well, you know, it's the people that are closest that he treats the best. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> uh, so uh to do a little quick actually first let's do a uh steve you don't have any kava unfortunately but uh as always we have to thank low tide kava bar for the kava we drink during our show bula bula for, would you want to thank kava for the for for the drink you drink no we have to drink, thank low tide for the kava oh okay well Thanks, Low Tide. I wish I had some kava, but I don't. <laughs> Overnight in kava is not very good. No, it's not a good thing anymore. You know, the federal government wants to make sure you can't, you know, have the freedom to do that. Right. It'll also spoil and probably won't taste very good by the time it gets to you. Uh, well, you know, there's that. <laughs> it doesn't need to be overnighted. Somebody could just drive it to him. That's true. Somebody could have done that. If... Two, hour, two hour drive. It's that's kava will stay good. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Steve, you and I met uh, working on Bill Wolsifer's attorney general campaign back in 2014. Uh, you, indeed, we did. Yes, we yeah, did. Through, uh, through our, our, my, my brief step into the, the Libertarian Party. Um, that's how uh, you were recommended to the campaign, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we brought you on board. That's for sure. Yeah, you were the uh, you were Bill's campaign manager, and uh, I'm gonna toot our horns here in the most inappropriate ways possible later. But um, we were named one of the top ten libertarian campaigns in the nation that year. Hmm. 
Um, yeah, as far as percentage and money spent and and uh, results that that were provided, um, you know, our our campaign uh, um, was was well run for the for the resources that we had. Um, we ran a statewide campaign on uh, on basically some uh, dollars and and um, ended up pulling um, pretty decent percentage points, uh, more points than than uh, national candidates were getting anyway. Uh, for a libertarian race, we, we we did okay. Yeah, no, it, it was not it was not a bad race. Um, Bill's performance in the debate I, that was a fun night. That was a good night. It was a fun night. Yeah, yeah that was. It showed. Uh, it, it showed that uh, third parties could not only get into debates, statewide debates, um, where everybody else was failing, um, but it also showed that uh, our candidate was was the most knowledgeable and the most uh, prepared for. For the job he was seeking, uh, too bad, too bad. The sheeple of the state didn't recognize that and were caught up in having to vote for familiar labels. Right. Very true. And also in the debate, like, and I know that I'm a little biased here, but just a little, just a little. But in the debate, like between uh, Pam, little person Bondi, and, uh, <laughs> and and Uncle George. Um, Bill was the most personable in my opinion as well. I thought that he came off. I think so. I thought he came off as somebody that you could sit down and just have a conversation with, uh, Pam being the least of those. She just seemed mean. Well, she seemed entitled, you know, which, which I think she thinks she is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but one of the major factors on that campaign, or one of the major things that we talked about on that campaign was hemp for water. Wait. Hemp for water is a very important, is a very important uh, uh, topic for, for me. It was, it was the reason why I got involved with, uh, with Bill's campaign um, was the fact that he was willing to uh, give it a – a place on the stage um, and make it part of the statewide campaign. Um, his willingness to take that on and, and include it uh, was was a was one of the uh, driving forces for me uh, um, taking on the challenge of of managing um, a, a very uphill battle, as as you come came to find out uh, pretty quickly. Um, right. But hemp for water was uh, given a platform and a and a start there. Um, and I don't know if I interrupted your segue there, Matt. So did no, you want to no. say some more stuff about that before we go on? Or... Yeah, no. I do. Um, uh, what did you do different uh, that, that you think made you guys do better during your campaign than other Libertarian Party campaigns? Because I worked for the Leadership Institute. It's a conservative nonprofit up in D.C., and all they do is uh, – campaign training and and youth getting the youth involved so what did you guys do you think that was different oh we had we had people like we had people like matt on on board which was uh uh which which was meaning that uh um you know for most campaigns for political campaigns uh particular statewide campaigns the folks that get involved um, especially when they're not being paid um are are doing um are doing the work of a volunteer, which is what you can expect. Somebody that you have to hold their hand and, and, and direct and, and tell them, you know, well, I need this, this, and this specifically. And, 
and they provide maybe a quarter or a half of that. Uh, with our campaign, we had a we had a very small nucleus of people, and 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 Matt, myself, and and Joe Vaccarino, and uh, a few other a few other uh, um, really dedicated volunteers that were doing extraordinary things for volunteers um, and and providing uh, an amazing amount of work for um, for, for for no compensation. Um, Matt and I spent uh, probably 30, 30 hours a week on the phone alone. Um, and, and Joe was a good part of uh, those conversations, uh, strategizing and figuring out how we were going to make the most efficient bang for our buck um, wherever we went. And um, through his creativity and Joe's creativity and, and our ability to cover our state with very few people, um, we were able to put out a presence of, of, a, of a campaign, of a statewide campaign that people not only saw, but recognized, um, you know, the, the, the real potential behind it. And we, we were able to generate a, somewhat of a bandwagon that um, we, we, you really don't see in the state of Florida unless you're an R or a D. Um, and it was kind of fun. Um, you know, people actually knew what we were doing uh, before we got there. We had uh, people volunteering to, to ride bicycles and, and, and put our signs on the side of their trailers. And, um, you know, we had breweries that were willing to, uh, um, you know, provide venues and spaces and, and time. And, and uh, we went, we went uh, on shows like this uh, that were online and on the internet that we could circumvent the, the, the mainstream media blackout, um, which we were definitely experiencing. Uh, that's pretty common for, for most third party uh, candidates in, in this state. Um, and, um, we were we were just a harder working team i think than than um than most other political teams and that and, and it doesn't really matter the label it just a we just had a team that uh um that was dedicated and and uh decided that they were going to make a difference um and it, it was it was probably uh one of the more rewarding campaigns i've ever worked on um it it, it talks it even topped some of the ones that won. Uh, you know, um, we, we were able to uh, make a, a, a huge impact in a in a very large in a very large pond against very large fish, um, and and we made a statement, and it stuck. Do you think it? So, um, uh, do you think it could have done better um, if you guys had paid somebody to do something? Because I I mean. I'm sort of a believer of you can't save the world if you can't pay the uh, water and electric bill sort of thing. Well, yeah, and 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 money always makes things easier, um, you know. But 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 money only provides well, money only provides convenience and 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 uh, and uh, um, better tools. It does it makes it easier, but it doesn't doesn't provide for for assurance or, or provide for uh, um, for the win um, although you know our political climate um, most of the time shows differently you know he who has the most gold wins usually um, but I mean I'm sure if we had the ability to to, to pay to pay a, a, an entire staff of, of individuals and, and, and dedicate them um, we, we may have seen a little bit more positive results. Um, what we really needed to see 
was was the political parties um, in, in YSA parties, I mean, both national and state in the libertarian front, um, recognizing, you know, what what the best potential in the state was and getting behind it. Unfortunately, you know, the climate was split uh, between a few different possibilities. And and, um, you know, what we did was um, was uh, uh, split resources instead of combining resources um, and the human factor in the uh, and 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 the pool of available political help knowledge money all of that especially within our circles was um, confused as to where they should dedicate their resources uh, so I think in terms of resources or money if we were able to capture the public more than pay particular people on staff, I think that would have been a lot more um, uh, effective or, or uh, a lot more um, considerable in its effect on, on what would happen to the outcome of the campaign. Um, paying somebody, you know, 50 to $100,000 a year to run a third party candidates uh, campaign isn't going to isn't going to win you the campaign. Uh, because you've got to overcome way too many things within the political culture that's against third-party candidates to begin with. Um, sure, it would have helped. It would. I mean, I'm. I, I know for a fact that Matt would have loved to be able to pay some of his bills during that time. Yeah, that uh, and same with Joe, and same with myself. And and to be fair, and to and in full disclosure, I was receiving a small stipend as a as the campaign manager, but it was it was a. It was extremely small. <laughs> it didn't even it didn't even pay uh, the expenses I was putting out. But uh, it it was a little something, and it was it was only what um it was only what could be uh, afforded uh, by the campaign and by and more specifically by Bill. Um, so, uh, you know, had we been able to pay our our staff more, um, our staff for sure. Uh, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that would have provided a different result because you can't get the dedication or the work that that we produced from from money. That was that was from that was from drive and that was from character and that was from commitment and that was from wanting to wanting to do the right thing. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it came from just having the heart and the belief in the candidate and wanting above all else for that candidate to do well. And I mean, Steve's right. We did, we talked 30 hours a week easily on the phone and that's not including the video chats that we did with everybody um, or the emails or the Facebook group chats or whatever. But I mean, we were constantly in contact and by the, by October, it was definitely beginning to take its toll. We were, some of us were, butting heads towards the end but we were able to come through at the end well you know i mean it was a it was it was a, a lot of pressure coming uh from a lot of different directions there and uh you know as a team as the core team we uh we held it through to the end so that and that was the important part i'm uh extremely um extremely proud and honored to have uh to have uh, uh made that that full journey um and um you know maybe maybe one day uh we'll, we'll all get the band back together and do it again next time we'll try and get paid though yeah that, that that'd be a lot better next time because yeah it would 
Because try, trying to work a job 30 hours a week plus doing that roughly 90 hours a week was really draining at the end. But yeah, yeah, 90 was a light week. Yeah, 90 was a light week. But yeah, it was a, I mean, in the end, I've always been glad that I, that we did it. And it is one of the more proud things that I've ever worked on. And, you know, I've been friends with you and Bill and everyone else on the team ever since. Oh, I think that's, uh, that's what happens when, when, when you go through a, a, a campaign, a real campaign for the duration, uh, it, it, whether it's political or military or otherwise, it, uh, it, it binds people. Absolutely. Um, so moving, moving on, um, one of the campaign stops that we did was up in Tarpon Springs at the, uh, hemp house. Right. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know up in Tarpon Springs, there's a house that's like 90% built out of hemp. It's pretty great. Yeah. It was, Bob Clayton put it together. Yeah. Um, three years to do it by the hand. Yeah. And it, the, uh, insulation was made from hemp creed. The, like the entire house was hemp. It was insane. Um, and then at the event, they had a beer made out of hemp. Uh, they like they it was we just had a huge hemp party and it was it was a good time and while there steve uh you were telling us about the hemp for water so do you want me to uh give the the, the breakdown of that and and what hemp for water's main idea is yeah that would that would be fantastic okay so um so Hemp for Water was a concept to really try and begin the conversation to answer a question of how are you going to pay for it? And how are you going to pay for it is a, is a question that matches about 100 different water projects and water infrastructure projects that need to happen in the state of Florida. Team, We were dealing with incredible amounts of discharges that were destroying um, the ecosystems of uh, this South Fork of the St. Lucie River and the Indian River Lagoon, where I grew up on the East Coast. Um, they were also discharging to the West Coast and destroying um, all of the uh, environment that was associated with the Caloosahatchee River discharges. Um, so we were, as a state, dealing with a lot of pain um in in water infrastructure and policy problems and and frankly we still are today we just our our media doesn't properly cover um the state of affairs that we're dealing with um but basically uh every time you turn around it was well yeah we could fix this but the state of florida doesn't have any money to do that and the federal government keeps screwing up their their word of allocation that's the that's the national water bill water resource bill. Um, and, you know, it's always a, a he said, she said, and, and everybody pointing their finger at everybody else as to who's going to pay for it and who's responsible. So hemp for water is an idea on how to circumvent the political pie grabbing in, in Tallahassee and pay for water infrastructure improvements. Um, the way that it would work uh, in, in my mind's eye, and I am completely open to criticism and, and other suggestions on this. Like I said, this is a, this is a, a starting point to, to make the conversation happen, um, is that we would 
first and foremost, bring industrial hemp to the state of Florida, uh, which we're one step closer to uh, with the um, with with the uh, yesterday in, in session Tallahassee, both both houses passed the industrial hemp bill, which is- uh, which began which began looking like a, a horrible mistake um, at the beginning of session. Uh, with five years and very limited on what you could do and and what could be involved in it, to what looks to be on first read, it's about five pages long that I saw this morning. Um, It looks to be a pretty straightforward um, research bill that includes all sorts of um, opportunities for private and other organizations to be involved with either the University of Florida or or Florida A&M. And and uh, do a two-year project on the studies and effects of, of hemp cultivation in the state of Florida, which is a good thing. It's on the it's in the step of the right direction, but I think it's a complete waste of time because we've been cultivating hemp for four thousand years and know exactly what it can do and what it can be used for. It's just a game, but we are closer than what we were last year. So to get back to hemp for water, if you bring industrial hemp to the state of Florida and you were to um, eliminate the corporate and sales taxes that would be involved with the several different industries that would be in the sphere or the space of industrial hemp, then um, you can provide uh, a hemp for water excise tax at, say, 10 percent, which would give you a net savings of a half a percent, um, meaning that corporate taxes are five and a half percent, sales taxes are are a base of five percent, and then whatever the cities want to put on or the counties want to put on from there. Um, so you're going to save a minimum of a half a percent in taxes, but you're going to pay 10% uh, to a hemp for water excise tax. And that hemp for water excise tax will be allocated directly to water infrastructure improvements. Um, and from the studies that I worked on and, and, and the preliminary research that I've done on on what kind of economy um, industrial hemp could bring to the state of Florida, um, my numbers show a $9 billion a year potential. Um, and if you take 10% of 900 or nine, 9 billion, you're looking at $900 million a year that you can provide to water infrastructure improvements. Um, now there's about 40 to $60 billion worth of water infrastructure improvements that would be needed if all told and were all included could give the state of Florida a hydrological advantage in the world that nobody's ever seen. We could collect and, and redistribute all the water that falls from the sky. Um, instead of discharging it out and destroying our ecosystems, we could uh, clean it and then pipe it where it needs to go, save our oysters in Apalachicola, deal with uh, saltwater intrusion in, in Jacksonville and Tampa and Miami, um, pump water to the Everglades after it's been cleaned as it's needed, um, put clean water back down into the aquifer to, to sustain our, our fast-shrinking water supply, drinking supply. Um, we, need to really, we need to really figure out what we're going to do with the water um, problem that's facing us. Um, and this is a way that we can create a, a, an ongoing funding system for it that's going to require a lot of infrastructure to make happen, but that infrastructure is going to create a lot of private and public opportunity, uh, which is going to provide a lot of private and public jobs. Um, and that's not even including 
the jobs and economy that's created from bringing on the industrial hemp as a, a, a multi-tiered, multi-industried opportunity. Do you plan to put a cap on uh, this excise task, uh, tax, task, excise tax uh, from being upped by future uh, sessions and if, if this ever happens to take place or are well, they going to be mean, free to would, increase all it? All that would be up to the legislature anyway. This whole, this whole thing that I'm talking about doesn't happen without the cooperation of the legislature anyway. Um, you, you can't do what I'm talking about in, unless – um, we bring we bring industrial hemp as a as a viable commodity. Now that that doesn't happen without the legislature or the attorney general or the governor. You have to have one of those three entities um, make industrial hemp um, a, a viable crop. Now the governor and the attorney general can do it basically with the stroke of a pen at any moment. Um, neither one of them need to wait on the legislature. Neither one of them need to be a, the permission from the other one. Um, they could basically say, I'm descheduling hemp tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, it would be like tomatoes or oranges or, or any other uh, commodity crop that you would be growing. We put a lot of power back into the Department of Agriculture um, with Adam Putnam, who's very much against anything that has to do with hemp or cannabis. So there's a lot of politics involved in it. Um, you know, and this this whole conversation is just a show people that you can think out outside of the box and and if you really want to you can fund you can fund um massive massive infrastructure and needs and improvements without without providing for any extra taxes on anybody and and without providing any extra burden on anybody um in fact you're going to save a half a percent of tax on on the people that are brave enough to enter into the into the new industries anyway um I used to get a lot of criticism from from my libertarian friends about this part this this plan because they say, oh, well, you're creating a tax. Hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I, I am creating a tax. I am creating a tax or a label for tax dollars, but I'm actually lessening. I'm actually lessening the amount of tax liability and burden that would be on. And I'm I'm just transferring the label and the allocation of. Um, 10 to 10 10 percent instead of 10 and a half percent which everybody has to do if they're going to do business in the state of florida unless of course they go under florida enterprise and get a special deal and a special break and tax incentive and all that to bring their 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 multi-billion dollar business here when they would have anyway but hemp, um, hemp is good hemp <laughs> is scheduled on a federal level right so this would keep the government open to still come in and seize hemp well i guess technically they could um but uh, the farm bill is taking that off of a uh, schedule at the federal level from what I understand. Um, they're, they're expecting no issue with that. Um, this go this session around. So hemp is going to, hemp is basically going to be descheduled on a, on a, on a national level here pretty soon legislatively, but practically it's already happened. Not to mention, not to mention we have the 10th amendment if we really, really want to push the issue. Uh, which is what most of the other states have done anyway, is basically said, look, this is our policy on the substance. The federal government doesn't have the, the purview or the constitutional authority to have been to have been regulating this in the first place. Um, you're, you're not welcome. Your, your DEA agents and your, and your federal agents are not welcome in our state, um, which would be my position on it. Um, there, there's there's absolutely no 
no reason why we can't move forward and, and tell the federal government that um, their law is unconstitutional and unjust. You should speak to, uh, from Florida, Andrew Nappi. He's the founder of the uh, Tenth Amendment Center. Would be a cool guy. Andrew I'm sorry, Nappy. Muhammad. Everything you just said was was uh, was was very garbled, and I couldn't understand what you said. No, uh, what he was what he was saying. Wow, that is obnoxious. I can hear it. Um, what he was saying was uh, that Andrew Nappy is the founder of the Tenth Amendment Center. Correct. Um, and do you do you know Andrew? Um, I'm friends with him on Facebook. I've had uh, a, a couple of interchanges with him, but I would I wouldn't say that I I know him. Yeah, that I was just mentioning he might have some good insight for you on that. Oh, I'm sure he would. I, and based on uh, based on what I've read uh, from from the institute and and from some of the exchanges I've I've been involved with uh, uh, with him in, in the exchange as well, I would imagine that he agrees with me uh, pretty closely. Um, so I know that you personally have a huge passion for, uh, the waterways here in Florida, since you are a native and even though you're a Steelers fan, um, <laughs> um, there's a fun story behind that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're, a. since I've known you, you've always cared about the waterways here in Florida. Um, what did you think about the uh, the water policy bill that Rick Scott signed last year? Which part of it? I mean, uh, uh, the the funding for the bridges off of Tamiami Trail and and getting the, getting those elevated so that we could uh, so that we could uh, um, free up the flow down in the, in the Everglades. I thought was I thought that was great great uh, stuff. Um, the rest of it was um, was kind of band-aid political stuff, but it's really um, – and this isn't a defense to, to the governor because I'm not, I'm not a huge fan, but I'm not really against him either. Um, the fact of the matter is is that with water policy in the state of Florida, we've been kicking the can and, and blaming somebody else for so long that people – with good intentions really don't know what to do to, to begin to fix the problem. Um, and, uh, that, uh, we have to remember with, with Scott, regardless of what we think about his environmental record or platform or what have you, um, the, the water policy bill that he put out there actually provided more funding and, and more shovel ready kind of project funding uh, than the most previous uh, attempts by the by by the um, the governor's staff, any previous governor's staff, uh, with a with a couple of exceptions. Um, so you know, in terms of that particular policy and that particular bill, I I kind of liked it. But in terms of the governor's overall um, stewardness or or attention to what's been going on environmentally in the state of Florida, particularly with water, I'm not very happy or very impressed with um, with anything that he's done. Um, the way that he worked with the federal government and in in, uh, in response to the night or to the 2013 and 2016 discharges was very um uh territorial and 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 bullish and and uh counterproductive 
Um, you know, it was it was partisan politics instead of fixing the problem. Um, and the way that this whole this whole uh, uh, approach to environmental policy in the state has been since the 70s has been partisan politics instead of instead of trying to fix the problem. We could have fixed the problem a couple of times, a couple of different ways if we would have just all gotten on the same page and agreed with the 80% that we could agree with and, and left the other 20% alone. Um, you know, I, I've been struggling all my life to environmentalists and farmers to sit at the table because they both on 80% of, of what they think needs to happen to resources in the state of Florida. And they kill each other over the 20% that they disagree on. And what ends up happening is that we all suffer because they're in a political poo fight that, that results in absolutely no solution and no, no forward momentum. And that's been going on since 1978, um, you know, with the initial fight of, oh, big sugar's the problem, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I, I think that I think sugar is responsible for a lot of problems in the Everglades, and they and they did uh, they did uh, uh, contribute to the pollution and the and the mayhem. Um, but to continue that blame for the discharges is is uh, not only inaccurate, but it's ir irresponsible. You're blaming a boogeyman that that may or may not have been guilty of something in the past. And you're and you're ignoring what's really causing the problem, and you're and therefore you're ignoring any viable or real solutions. Um, so, you know, and I think that the governor did that uh, uh, two years ago. I think that Senator Negron's uh, latest attempt also does that. Um, and all we're doing is is circling around one another in for, in terms of uh, this side versus that side. And, and we're not getting to the root of the problem or, or trying to really solve the problem, which is why I'm involved and, and why I get so frustrated with the party politics, especially in environmental policy, um, because you know, more people are, are, are holding their points of view just because of the cheerleading they want to do for their side, as opposed to, as opposed to what's actual fact or or what's what's truth or, or or what the reality of the situation is you can't see us but muhammad's muhammad is listening so intently and he has this uh very calm look on his face and he's nodding as he's listening to you <laughs> with like this mild like this very faint smile and it's really funny to watch <laughs> Like minds, my friends. Like minds. <laughs> I don't know anything about this topic, but I like what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um. I the, the first I ever heard about this topic was from Steve, and the the more that I talk to Steve, the more I learn about it, which is why one of the many reasons I wanted to have him on the show, um, because he he is more knowledgeable on this than anybody I have ever met in my life, um, and he cares so deeply about it. <laughs> Um, now I know that there's a couple of things going on. Um, there's a couple of, a couple of things happening, uh, for the Florida waterways, um, right now. Um, I have to go back to that page on my phone. Um, you and I spoke very briefly earlier now 
there was the uh, Florida Georgia water dispute. Right. Um, yeah. So what's been going on with that is a lot of people are unaware that for a, a while now, like almost a couple of decades, um, we have been in a situation, especially in drought times, of of needing um, water to irrigate the oysters in Apalachicola. Um, and normally, normally it's a dispute between us and Georgia because Georgia has, has been experiencing their own set of water shortages and problems. Their water supply comes from Lake Lanier, um, which then flows down into the Apalachicola River, which flows through Georgia, then flows into northern Florida, then flows into Apalachicola Bay, eventually irrigating the oysters. So for the last several rounds of disputes, Florida and Georgia have ended up in front of the Supreme Court um, arguing over the rights to this water. And for the last several rounds, uh, the Supreme Court has sided with the state of Florida um, mandating that Georgia provide uh, at least some some amount of water from Lake Lanier into Apalachicola River to finally go into the Apalachicola Bay. And uh, we recently did another round of disputes with them, and we lost. Huge implications uh, because now now uh, our our closest freshest source of water for our oysters is, is likely going to be cut off unless we. Unless we uh, arrange a, a settlement with Georgia, uh, which would basically be a king's ransom, quite literally, uh, to to be able to irrigate those oysters. Now, those are the last viable oyster industry in the state of Florida, basically, um, any, any with any real commercial uh, value to it. Uh, so it's a pretty big deal. Um, and uh, if we had hemp for water in place, we could have, we could have a huge cleaning station. That would be that would be cleaning all the collected uh, stormwater and runoff from Central Florida instead of flushing it to tide and killing ecosystems. And then we could pipe it to Apalachicola to to clean the oysters and and not have to worry about Georgia and and the river water or the Lake Lanier water. Uh, but unfortunately, um, about that in, in in the last several decades and and um, not too many people are are jumping on my bandwagon currently. So. We've got a real a real dilemma with what we're going to do in Apalachicola, and and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to lose businesses and and jobs, and and that area is already fairly depressed. The only thing that was really holding that that area together was the the remaining oyster industry. Um, so it's going to be a a, a very unfortunate um, economic reality that's gonna that's gonna face the state of Florida and, and Apalachicola here in a not too distant future uh, because we are entering in one of the worst drought cycles uh, that that we're going to experience in, in our lifetime, really. Um, but this The next few years, it's going to be pretty dry. Okay. And um, my question is, uh, would it cost us more to, um, what, what, how do I phrase this? Would it cost us more to let these oyster industries die off or would it cost us more to pay a bunch of ransom money to keep that business up and running or that industry up and running? Well, it depends Just on money how wise. you're measuring your costs, I suppose. Um, 
you know, if you're if you're looking at short term costs, uh, it's, it's probably short term more viable just to let let uh, quote unquote nature take its course. But if you're looking at long term viable costs and community costs, and environmental costs, and 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 the like, um, letting that because if the if the oysters don't get fresh water and maintain their part of the ecosystem, the entire ecosystem dies. Um, and, uh, and, and oysters are responsible for a large amount of the filtration, especially in the, in the intercoastal and brackish and, and subsalt areas um, that occur. Uh, the oysters and the seagrasses are, are responsible for almost all of it. So if you just allow those oysters to die because screwed up its water supply and 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 uh and uh prevented the what was a natural flow of water from the north to to occur to it then um you know it's really not a natural cycle it's not really what was supposed to happen because of our involvement in it um so you know monetary costs in the short run yeah probably let them die off but the long-term community humanitarian and environmental costs uh, which will eventually lead back to monetary costs uh, would be massive but I mean are they is Georgia planning to uh, cut off all that water is that even possible well see that's the problem is one of the reasons why Georgia or we've had to sue Georgia for that water in the past is because Georgia has said it's our water we need it you can't have any Sorry. And Florida's always said, well, it's a regional water source. Um, we're going to sue you for it. Georgia said, go right ahead, sue us for it. And, you know, the last several times, Florida won. Um, this last go around, Florida didn't win. So, um, you know, we were used to the federal government saying, uh, no, no, Georgia has to give you their water. Federal government's not saying that this time. And, and um, you know, the, this, this, the situation is markedly different. What about building desalination plants to um, provide water? It's a great idea, but uh, you know, again, how are you going to pay for it? Who's going to pay for it? Okay. And, and where's yeah. it going to come from? True. Um, you know, that's that's part of that's part of infrastructure. You know, and and uh, we're back to him for water. If you want to provide a dedicated funding source for for infrastructure improvements. Those would be the type of infrastructure improvements I would be making. I mean, it's great to shore up a dike that shouldn't have been built in the first place. But um, what what we re really should be doing is 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 infrastructure and technology that can capture, clean, and redistribute water. And if that cleaning is done via uh, desalinization or 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 uh, uh, solar uh, um, fractionalization or or, or through uh, reverse osmosis or whatever it is that you want to do or whatever technology that you have, I'm not married to any of them. What I want to do is fix the problem. Okay. So what we do is figure out how we're going to capture, clean, and redistribute. Um, in 2016, almost three – what was it? It was, uh, was uh, 2.9 billion – no, 2.9 million acre feet. I got to get my facts and figures right. 2.9 million acre feet of water that we allowed to flow into Lake Okeechobee that we had to then discharge out to sea. 
2.9 million acre feet of water is an acre feet of water is is one foot of water spread across an acre. Okay, that's a that's an incredible amount of water. Um, to give you an idea of 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 volume that we were flushing out the tide on a on a regular basis during the discharges, it, it was about nine nine billion gallons a day uh, that was that was going to tide. Um, Actually, it was, I'm, I'm sorry. It was about it was about 15 billion gallons of water a day that was going to tide. Nine billion gallons a day is r roughly what the population of South Florida, south of Lake Okeechobee, consumes a day. Um, 18 billion gallons a day is roughly what agriculture for the entire state consumes a day. Um, a million gallons a day to two million gallons a day is what the cities, the major cities that are fighting saltwater intrusion are spending to fight saltwater intrusion. And we were flushing to tide, completely wasting 15 billion gallons a day. Not only are we wasting that water resource, but by doing so, we're destroying the marine economies and estuaries and environments of two of our most important uh, coasts in Florida in terms of tourism and in terms of of, uh, of coastal economic activity. It was a, a three and a half billion dollar economic engine that was destroyed in, in Martin and St. Lucie counties and another two billion dollar engine that was destroyed in uh, Sanibel and, and on the west coast. Um, an incredible waste and, and an incredible piss poor job of resource management. He, he he looks satisfied with that answer. <laughs> um, switching gears a little bit, I know that you're a uh, huge proponent for uh, legalization, decriminalization, and medical marijuana. Um, and as everybody here in Florida knows, that in uh, the last election we passed medical marijuana. To you know, everybody was exceptionally happy about it. And I'm mainly bringing this up so you can say what you wanted to say earlier when you asked if we have to keep it clean. Um, <laughs> what uh, what are your thoughts on what Tallahassee did with the uh, medical marijuana? Oh, this is where I get to say it was a complete clusterfuck. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a matter of power. It's a matter of 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 of. People that are realizing they're going to lose their power, scraping and, and turning and, and grasping and scratching for their last bits of power to hang on to. Um, they knew that this was coming all along. Charlotte's Web was the was the the prequel to this, the the run up to this, the plan. Um, and those of us that have been watching and monitoring this, when Charlotte's Web went through all said this is exactly what they're going to do. They're going to try and match it to Charlotte's Web, and then when it doesn't happen, they'll jump it off into the and to the DOH's hands, and then, and then we'll have a mess, and we'll never really get medical until until we get pissed off enough to really demand it, which is exactly what's, what has happened and what is going to happen. Um, the fact of the matter is is that the, there are a few people that, that hold on to and think and I guess indeed do have power uh, within the state level that are not willing or ready to share it with the rest of us. Um, they would much rather limit uh, a, a completely viable economy 
and and it doesn't really matter if you're talking medical, industrial, or recreational. I really I really don't care. You're talking about billions and billions of dollars of of economy and potential jobs and and potential uh, uh, businesses that, but for a few jackoffs, um, the state of Florida could be uh, uh, competing in and 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 making an incredible amount of money on a on a world scale. Um, I personally am, am an advocate mostly for industrial because that's volume and that's where the, the true money is at. But I mean, as a institutionalist and as a freedom minded individual, I am so pissed off that our elected officials don't, don't uh, follow the will of the people on this. Um, it, 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 it's, it's so infuriating that it's, it's hard to find the words. Um, because 71% public mandate of, of them telling them, hey, this is what we want, this is what you want to do, and their opening volley is, oh, well, we're going to give you five people that's going to supply it, and we're only going to let you put it up your ass, you know, and, and, and that's, that's what, that was the first run of the, of the bill at the beginning of session, and the damn thing went through so many hoops and hurdles, which everybody knew it was going to do, and so many ridiculous iterations that um, when it finally did come to an opportunity for, for reasonableness, um, <laughs> they, they snatched that right out of, uh, right out of the way and, and completely pissed each other off to the point where they threw up their hands and said, uh, well, we can't do this. We, we, we can't do what the voters wanted or mandated, and therefore we're going to leave it into the hands of the Department of, of Health, and, and they're going to promulgate the rest of this, this mess. Um, Positives and negatives to all of this. The, the negatives are that our legislators didn't do their job and what they should have done to begin with, which was to provide a, a reasonable medical policy that, that the voters asked for. But since they, since they were too inept to be able to do their job, it, it goes up to the agency. Now, the agency, unfortunately, is staffed by a bunch of um, people that are appointed to, to not be cooperative in this policy. Um, but if they if they were smart, they would go ahead and 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 do what the amendment says and write the rules according to the amendment. They won't. They, no, um, no, they, they won't. So when they don't, then um, you know, in nine months from now, when they have it and they've got it all screwed up, that's when John Morgan really gets to start making his money, uh, because he'll be suing the shit out of uh, um, the state of Florida through multiple plaintiffs, um, and they will all win. Uh, because it's a constitutional amendment, and uh, that'll cost the taxpayers a bunch of money, and the taxpayers will lose on both sides, and who will really lose are the patients that have to wait another year uh, before they, they get legal access to something that they shouldn't have to ask the government uh, whether or not they, could, they can choose to imbibe for themselves. Um, you know, we, we do not live in a free country, and, and all I have to do is point to this policy to prove it. Yeah, I agree with that 100% on that one. I mean, you, you know all the work that I have done um, for Kratom uh, with Kristen Jacobs trying to ban it right. here in Florida and the DEA and um, every, everything else that's ever come at Kratom. And it's the same argument that there is for marijuana whether it be uh recreational or medical it's it's uh that my this is my these are my choices that i'm making to put this into my body right and 
if I use kratom for uh, the relaxation or the energetic purposes, depending on which one it is, or if I use it for um, the what we call at low tide euphoric effects, even though since I'm not there, I can say pain relieving effects. Um, or if I'm a former you know, opiate addict who's using it in order to help ease those tensions, like that's, that should be my choice. And the government should not say, Oh no, you can't do that. You have to go through these channels, these, these ways of doing it. Um, and it's the same, you know, it's the same thing with uh, medical marijuana or even recreational marijuana, uh, the difference between, you know, going out and grabbing a beer and drinking Kratom or, you know, getting high with your friends or by yourself, whatever, I don't care, um, is minimal. Like there's, there is no difference. It's all how you choose to unwind and it really should not be mandated by the government on which one. Right. It's a moral choice for you to personally make and, and the government shouldn't be in the business of deciding morality in, in any way, shape, or form, um, and legislating morality is always very, very dangerous. Um, I thought we learned this in prohibition, but apparently not. Apparently not. No. So um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna rehash that lesson a couple times more painfully, and you know, we're you know, in the case of cannabis, you're you're looking at um, you're looking at a result of actually institutional racism, you know, because we we choose how we're going to enforce these policies. And, and um, you know, regardless if it's intended or not, the end result is, is that we incarcerate out of the massive amount of people that we incarcerate now, you know, again, for our free country, we are the leader um, in, in both numbers and, and, and uh, percentages of the people that we incarcerate. But, you know, over three and a half million people incarcerated, half of those people are there because of the war on drugs. Of those people, you know, 80% of them, and these are very conservative estimate uh, um, stats that I'm throwing at you, are, are African-Americans 18 to 35. They don't even have enough percentage of the population to account for, for, uh, um, for, for the drug use that they're being blamed for, much less, much less to be able to account for 80% of the drug use. Um, so... It's it's ridiculous, and and regardless if it's intended or not, the the reality is 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 in the incarceration numbers, and you know, you can't tell me that you know these people as a as a group are 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 doing more drugs than than the rest of society. Um, moreover, even if they were, why the hell are you putting them behind bars? What do you care? Why why do you care if they if they uh if they choose to to do this drug or that drug? As long as they don't hurt anybody else, um, you know, and and the whole policy isn't about the whole policy isn't about helping people or, or 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 preventing people from harming themselves. It's about control. It's about it's about segregation. It's about it's about manipulation. It's about labor. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, ancillaries that are tied to the to the war on drugs that are not. Um, are not all that uh uh you know american pie and 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 happy and and fun kinds of things um you know it's as i tell my students all the time there's a difference between there's a difference between academic theoretical understanding and and, and real world application and the the application of of the war on drugs real world is institutional racism and oh, irrespective of your of your opinions on on the substances involved 
um, we need to we need to completely uh, um, rehab and, and rehaul um, our criminal justice system in regard to this policy. Absolutely. Um, I think it was this week. Okay, so back in the early two thousands, uh, there was a television commercial on, and I fell a hundred percent in you know fake love with the girl in this commercial. And it was uh, this girl, and she was wearing like a white tank top and jeans, and she held up an egg, and she goes, this is your brain. And then she said, this is your brain on heroin, and she smashes it with a frying pan, and then she like wrecks an entire kitchen during this commercial. And I was like, oh, I'm in love with heroin girl, which is the only name that I knew how to call her. Um, <laughs> but we uh, – this week, she actually made another uh, commercial – and it touched on all of these. She held up an egg and she goes, this is your brain on drugs. And odds are nothing's going to happen. Then she holds up another egg uh, that was a brown egg. And she said, but this person, if they use drugs, they're 80% more likely to go to jail, 80% more likely to have their lives uh, wrecked. And then she kind of goes through the entire thing all over again like she did in the first uh, commercial. And I thought that it was – a real poignant way because that commercial was hugely popular in the early 2000s um and i thought it was a real point poignant way to kind of like bring it back around to show how the mindset on the war on drugs had completely changed and how people are realizing how it is a lot about institutional racism and how it does wreck uh communities for the fact that they're just making a moral choice and essentially they're saying that minorities are going to have, you know, minorities shouldn't be using this more than, you know, whites shouldn't be using it. Well, I mean, it, it, even if that's not what is overtly stated, that's, that's the result of the policy, right? You're, you're, you're a white kid and you get busted, you know, you're going to do community service hours. You're a black kid, you get busted, you're, you're going to jail. And you're, at minimum, you're going to go on probation, and we're going to figure out how how we can uh, make that probation skip and 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 bust so that we can so we can go back to the original thing and just and and put you through the cycle. Um, the entire criminal justice system is is has become a a uh, a, a, a repository uh, for for people that we want to remove from society as opposed to rehabilitation uh rehabilitation isn't even discussed anymore it's it's laughed at if it's if it's even brought up and that's the marking of a civilization on what they do with their criminal justice is are we doing this to remove people that we were uncomfortable with or are we doing this to rehabilitate people so they can be productive members of society um you know the the pudding the proof is in in the in, in what the results are not what we say or what we want to want to say, right? Um, you know, and, and 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 when the results are that that you know a thirteen percent population and African Americans start constituting you know the largest number of incarcerees across the board, not just on the war on drugs. Um, there's a fundamental institutional problem there um, because even if they wanted to, they can't do that percentage amount of the crime. Um, and they obviously shouldn't be generalized or stereotyped into into, into being made people that want to do crime because 
that's not the case. But the the reality is, or the results of the reality, um, um, seem to try and suggest that. Yeah, um, hundred percent agree. Um, that is actually just about all the time we have for today. Um, that that's actually the full hour. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. We do definitely appreciate it. Um, oh, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, and anytime, anytime you want to uh, promote hemp for water, you just you let me know. I'll come talk about that for an hour next what, time. What's the website for that? That's hempforwater.org. Hemp, the number four, water.org. And um, yeah, do you have anything uh, anything else you want to uh, promote or uh, talk about? Well, I just want to remind everybody that, you know, they can run their government or it'll run them. <laughs> uh, you know, run, run your government or run you was my, my campaign slogan that uh, I started in 2010. We used it a little bit for Bill's campaign. I used it again in 2016. I continue to, uh, um, to, to say that as many times as I possibly can because even though, even though we like to bitch and complain about all the problems in our, in our country, um, it's one of the few on the planet that, we can actually change if we really want to. And the only reason why it is what it is is because we allow it to be what it is. Um, and you have a choice. You can run your government or it'll run you. Well, I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, again, thank you so much. We do appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you need anything at all, you know, you can always give me a call and let me know. And well, I thank you very much. And Muhammad, it's been a pleasure. Uh, meeting and talking with you and uh hopefully we can do it again soon yeah same with you man yeah appreciate it man i'll talk to you soon have a great day all right you too bye-bye and that is just about everything we've got for today um hope you all enjoyed this uh great and informative segment right yeah this informative segment Great and informative segment on hemp for water, the water issues happening here in Florida for all of our listeners everywhere else. It's just stuff to look at because it's also something that you may have to deal with at some point um, in the future. Especially California people, which is where a lot of our listeners are apparently. Right. And their water issues. <laughs> um, so uh, do you have anything else that you... No, just... Um... If anybody wants to write for us, uh, send us a writing sample and we'll look at it. We put out our first article last week about the Pope. And I have another article about North Korea that I'm looking at right now before we publish it. And uh, soon enough here, we'll be trying to get some long-term uh, contributors. Thank yeah. you. And you can send those to uh, muddiedwatersoffreedom at gmail.com. All right. Uh, uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's do, do a, the last bula. Yeah, let's do a bula. Again, thank you to Low Tide. Shells up. Bula. Bula. And remember, you can always find us on Facebook at Facebook on at facebook.com backslash muddied waters of freedom on Twitter at muddied underscore waters or on Instagram at muddied waters of freedom. Or you can go and check out our website, which has all of that stuff on it at muddied waters of freedom.com. Yep. 
And uh, as always, guys, remember where we're going. We don't need roads.